week's parsha is Parshas Vayera. When you read the first uh, section of the parsha, there is some blatant questions that come to mind, and I'll tell you one of them. So Abraham Avinu was sitting, Kechem Hayyim, it was very hot that day. It was the day that uh, he was recuperating from his bris milah, and he was waiting anxiously for Archim to come, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was being mevaker, chayla to him, and he lifts his eyes and he sees three men coming in his direction, and he gets up and he runs and he is... Uh, he invites them in and, uh, and offers them food. And it seems from the parsha that Abraham Avinu fully believed that he was encountering human beings. I mean, the fact that he gave them to eat, even though Malachim do not eat, as Rashi points out, but they sort of pretended to eat. But the fact that he went through all of these um, extremes and running and, and baking and cooking and preparing and shefting for malachim, that wouldn't make sense. So clearly he was under the impression that these were regular archim. Rashi says that they came to the most Arabim, they, 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 were, uh, they, were, they looked like Arabs and uh, that's why he insisted that they wash their feet before they come in because the Arabs are Ayved, Ayvedizara to the dirt. And all of these things make it quite clear that he was fully under the impression that they, these were human beings. And yet, when you look at Rashi a little bit deeper into this uh, parsha, when he's inviting them to eat, he says, And you should um, have your heart be satiated. And Rashi discusses this, and he says that Notice the Lashon of Vesadu Libchem as opposed to Vesadu Levabchem. Normally you would say in the plural, your hearts. But yet it says here, Libchem. And Rashi says a very interesting thing that Magid She'en Yitzhahara Shailet B'Malachem. What we see from this is that Yitzhahara has no dominance over a Malach. So Levabchem would have implied that there's the means you only have one heart, you only have one interest, you don't have any alternate conflicting um, inclinations inside of you. You're purely good, you're doing the right thing. Libchem, you have one heart, you don't have the Sahara. Now, by Abraham Avinu saying this, Clearly, he's indicating to them that what? That he knows that they're malachim. He knows that they're angels. So which one was it? Does he think that they're people or does he think that they're malachim? On one hand, it seems clear that he thinks he's convinced that these are regular human beings, these are Arabs, but yet he then slips in that libchem to imply that he understands on a certain level that they are not humans, that they are angels. So which one, which one is it? Ugedal Yashar in the Argedal Yo addresses this. He doesn't ask my question about Libchem, but he, he's speaking about the Parsha Bechlau and what Avram Avinu's motivation was over here. 
he says that based on a story that he heard from Rav Aaron Kotler. Rav Aaron Kotler was the Rebbe of Rav Gedal Yashar. Rav, Rav Aaron Kotler, in fact, said that about Rav Gedal Yashar that he was the first American gobble. Rav Gedal Yashar was, happened to not have been born in America. He was born in Europe, but he came to America at a young age. He learned in Tarvadas, and he was like a brilliant, brilliant person. In fact, I think uh, when... Rebbe Hanan came to America. I think he shmuzed him and learning for a long time. And Mayor Shapiro met him when he was in America. And Mayor Shapiro said he was like the most brilliant mind of this whole dar. So, but he was the first gadol, Rebbe Aaron meant, that was really bred in America. Like he was brought up in America and he attained godless in America. And, and later on, I think he went to Kletsk in Europe to learn under Rebbe Aaron. And so Rav Aaron was very close with him. And he said that he heard, Gedalia said that he heard a Misa once from Rav Aaron, and based on this Misa, he wants to open up this parsha a little bit. The Misa was with the Vilna Gain, and I don't think this is brought anywhere else, as far as I know, that the Vilna Gain used to have a gallus, which means he used to go around, leave his home, and travel incognito to various places in the world for whatever reason. This is not uncommon by G'dayli Yisrael. They would do this as a kapara in order to, because Golos is mechaper, so they would just basically take upon themselves in order to get a kapara savainas. They would go and they would put on a different outfit. They wouldn't wear their rabbinic garb and they would just go and travel places without too much money, if any money at all, and they would just basically live like nomads for a while, and then eventually come back home and assume, or reassume their positions. So, one time, the Grau was traveling, and he went to Frankfurt in Germany. The Rav of Frankfurt at the time was the Hafla. The Hafla was one, was one of the G'dayle Adar, and so he knocked on the Hafla's door, and he didn't tell the Hafla that he was the Gain. And in those days, they didn't have pictures, they didn't have cameras, they didn't have, uh, people didn't know what other G'dayim looked like, so he just looked like a regular person. He didn't realize who this person was. There was no way for the Hafla to recognize this was the Groff. And he came into the guy, he came into the Hafla's house, and the Hafla invited him in, and again, not knowing this was the Vilna Gain, he just, he fed him, and then he invited him to, you know, to have a, to use the guest room and to stay there as long as he wants. The guy wanted to test to see whether or not the hafla knew who he was or not. Again, the, the guy did not say to the hafla that he was the guy. This was the whole point of him going to Gullahs was to be very anonymous. So what the guy did was when he went to sleep at night and the flo was staying up the whole night and like sort of like looking in on his room, he kept on knocking off the blanket from his bed and the flo pretending to be sleeping and the flo would quickly run in and, and fix it and be and be mechabed him again. And then he knocked off the blanket again five minutes later and then again. And the guy understood that the flo knew exactly who he was but yet the Hafla did not say a word. He didn't say at all in any which way that he understood that he was the Vilna Gaim. He just went along with the, you know, with this game. And the Gaim said that I learned from the Hafla how to 
avoid being megalocyte. Megalocyte means that there's something in life called a secret. If I have a secret that I'm keeping, then I have to keep it. And I don't have the right to reveal it to anybody else. The Vilna Gain was obviously keeping a secret, and Nafla was in on the secret. But if the Vilna Gain was not disclosing the secret to the Afla, meaning he wasn't telling Nafla that I'm the Vilna Gain, that means that the Vilna Gain obviously wanted to maintain this as a secret. The Afla did not want to in any which way impose on that side. He didn't want to reveal a secret when somebody's trying to keep it private. So based on this story, Rabbi Gedalia Shar says that this is what I believe is going on in this parish with Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu clearly knew that these were angels. Avram Avinu had Ruach HaKadosh. He understood that these were not regular human beings. But much like the Gain, these Malachim were dressed like regular human beings. They were acting like human beings. They were disguised. And, the, and Abraham Avinu understood that if they were disguised and they were not telling him that they were angels at this point yet in the story at least, then that means that they want to keep a secret. And if they want to keep a secret, it behooved Abraham Avinu to play along with this and to also not in any which way let on that I know that you're an angel. He could have said, come on guys, you can take off the, off the, off the mask. I know that you're Malachim. But he didn't, because it was a secret that was sort of held by these malachim. Avram Avinu was privy to the secret, but he didn't want to reveal the secret, not even to the angels, because that was something that um, would go against this very important principle in the Torah of not being Megala Said. Just Agav, at the beginning of the parsha, it says... A double lashna vayar in the second pasuk in the parsha it says vayisa ina vayar v'neishlesha nash mitzavalav vayar vayar tzlakrosam. So Rashi says, what's this vayar vayar two times? He says the first vayar is that he physically saw. The other vayar is that he comprehended. A lashna havana. Sometimes vayar means not just to see physically, but it means to understand, to perceive, to comprehend. So the second Vayar is Lashon of Havana, and Rashi explains what he understood, that they weren't coming over to him, and he therefore, he understood they didn't want to be Matriachim, so he went and ran over to them. But I think, based on this Yisai that we're saying now, it's very simple what the second Vayar is. It's also, like Rashi says, it's Lashon of Havana, but the Havana was, he understood that these were angels. Vayar is, he saw in front of his eyes three men that looked like men, but Vayar, the deeper Re'iyah, was that he comprehended they were angels, but he did not say a word to them. Because he wanted to keep this very important foundational yisayid, that when somebody has a secret, and somebody entrusts you with a secret, or you are entrusted with a secret, you have to maintain that secret. It's interesting that we see this same yisayid about keeping a secret another time in this very parasha. Where else do we find this parasha in Indian of keeping a secret? Later on, in the parasha, it says that the Malachim, when they came to save light, they say to him as follows, 
Ki mashchisim anachnu es hamakim hazeh. We have come here because we are about to destroy this city. And there's a fascinating medrash in Bereshit's Rabbah, Parak Nun. It also appears in Parak Samaches in Bereshit's Rabbah that there was a very big tain on these malachim. These were not small malachim. These were the biggest malachim that we have, right? There was uh, Gabriel and Raphael, Michal. One of them was not there, but these were great malachim. But yet, for some reason... They said, And the Chazal say in this Medrash that HaKadosh Baruch had a very big taina on these angels to, for saying this. Why? Because they were Megala Masturin Shalmakim. Which means that the secret that HaKadosh Baruch Hu held, they revealed. I didn't tell you that you have permission to tell light why we're here. You're supposed to come and just say, and I'll tell light when I want to tell light. I'll tell light when I want. But you're not supposed to tell light. What right do you have to go and start opening up your mouth? Loose lips, loose lips and chips. You have to be very careful. This, this, some, you, could, you could destroy a lot of things if you talk too much. And these malachim, because they reveal the secret of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they're Megala Masturin Shalmakim, there was a very big tain on them, and the measure says that because of that, they were not permitted to go up to Shemayim for 138 years. For 138 years, they were not allowed to go up to Shemayim. Until the parsha of the Sulam of Yaakov when he had that dream, he dreamt that there were Malachim that were Eilim, the Yardimba. What does that mean? They were Eilim. They, why were they going up? Don't Malachim normally come down from Shemayim, Zuck the Medrash? These were the angels that revealed that secret. They weren't allowed to go up to Shemayim for 138 years. The Mepharshim on the Medrash explained the Cheshpen of how you get 138 years from this story of Hapicha Sadaim until the Sulm of Yaakov. It was 138 years. But because of the fact that they revealed the secret, they were Megala side, there was a very big Taina on them. I was thinking that maybe the real taina on them, why this is such a, this is a very big penalty. 138 years is a long time to spend out of the machitzas of the Rabbeinu Shalom. Why so bad? It might be because they saw, they saw Avram Avinu. They were in the house of Avram Avinu and they understood that Avram Avinu understood that they were malachim, yet they, he treated them like angels. He treated them like people rather. He didn't Reveal the secret that they had, they should have learned the Musr Shmuz from that. They should have understood that it's very important to keep a secret. And yet here they go straight from Avram Avinu's house, they go to light, and they start blabbering about the fact that there was, uh, you know, that they didn't learn their lesson from the first part of the parasha. And because of that, when you don't learn a lesson, it's much worse. It's interesting, you know, Abraham Avinu was told about Sadaim by Akadosh Baruch Hu. And what does Akadosh Baruch Hu say to him? He says to himself, really, but within earshot of the angels, HaMechasa ani me'avram es asher ani Should I hide from Abraham Avinu? Should I conceal from Abraham Avinu 
that which I'm about to do, about destroying Sadaim, he, he told Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu tried to negotiate with him to not destroy Sadaim, and in the end, Avram Avinu lost that debate. But we see from the fact that Akadosh Farku also said in front of the Malachim, Amachasa Anime Avram, should I hide this secret from Avram? Clearly, Akadosh Farku wanted this to be a secret. And yet the Malachim go and they tell. It's another tain on the Malachim. They, they didn't learn from Avram Avinu, they didn't learn from the Rabbanishlam's Lashon of Amachasa Anime Avram. So there's a tain on these Malachim, and yet you go in your, your Megala side. Agaborcha, why do you think that it was that after 138 years, now they're allowed to go back up to Shamayim? What happened? In, in, why, why all of a sudden were they granted the permission to go back up? I was thinking that that also might be part of what we're saying here today. Because what happened? You know, he fell asleep on Maria. He wakes up. He, in that dream, he saw the malachim going up and down, and he says, Achen yesh Hashem b'makim hazeh. Oh wow, I, I, there's HaKadosh Baruch this is HaMariah, this is the Makim HaMikdash. V'anoichi loyadatin, I had no idea about this. I didn't know. It's a little strange, what does it mean I don't know? He's expected to know everything. He went to sleep in a certain place. He wakes up, and he realized in a dream that this was What's the shock? Why is it such a, a pella to him that I didn't know? The pshat is that Yaakovina was surrounded by malachim. That's what Rashi says, that the malachim that were going up and down this ladder, there were malachim that were malavim that escorted him while he was in Eretz Yisrael. Those malachim went up, and now he's going to Chutzar. It's new malachim have to come and escort him down. He's surrounded by malachim. Malachim could have told him, hey, this is a malachim amikdash. Malachim know exactly where the base of Mekdash is, but yet they didn't say. I didn't know, nobody told me. The Malachim finally learned their lesson. They, had, they understood that Akadosh Baruch had a secret to keep from Yaakov Avinu. If he's not telling Yaakov Avinu that this is the Malachim Mekdash because clearly he wanted him to sleep here, we don't have the right to say. At that point, when they kept the secret... Now they are allowed to go back up to Shemayim. Because that, that was a kapara for what they did wrong. What we're learning here today is that there's something, we know that there's halachas of Lashon Hara, we know there's Lashon Hara, there's, there's halachas of, of Maitzi Shemra, of, of, of Rechilus, of Nibopeh, of Sheker, of Sichas Chulen, there's a lot of different halachas about speech. We're very regimented and regulated in terms of what we're supposed to say and what we're not supposed to say. But I don't know how many people understand that there's also halachas about keeping a secret. Keeping a secret is also a, a, a halacha no less than all those other halachas. It's actually a pasuk in Mishle. Shlaim HaMelech says, Hoylech Rachel Megalasai. If you're a person that reveals secrets to other people, if I have a secret and I don't, and I, and I, and I share that secret with somebody else, then I am a Hoylech Racha, I'm basically a gossip monger. Now technically there might be nothing wrong with what I'm saying. It's not Lashon Hara. Well, let's give a classical example of a secret that I know that I often will say to other people, okay? 
let's say somebody is about to get engaged. Okay, somebody's going out with somebody very seriously, and he comes over to me. I'm close with the person, and he says, I just want you to know that I'm going out with someone very seriously. I'm probably going to propose to her next week. He's telling me, he's not telling everybody, he's not official yet. So I have a secret now. Is that Lashon Hara? If I, let's say I go over to you and I say, hey, Chaim's about to get engaged with somebody. Is that Lashon Hara? Not Lashon Hara. What's, what's Lashon Hara about? It's a good thing. It's a nice thing. Beautiful thing. Is it Rechilos? No. Is it Sheker? No. Is it, is it Maitzi Shemer? No. It's all good. It's all positive. So what's the problem? The problem is that somebody entrusted me with a secret. They told it to me. And with that was the understanding that it should stay entrusted to me. As a loyal person, as a loyal friend, as a human being, I am mechoyev to keep that secret secret. He didn't allow me to go and say, if he wanted to make it public, he'd make it public. If he's telling me, he's telling me alone because he doesn't want anyone to know. Why is he telling me? Because I'm a close friend of his, he wants me to know, he wants to keep me in the loop, he wants to... It's an honor that he's giving me. But if I go and I start saying, of course, to one person at a time, you know, I just want you to know, did you hear about him? That is a very big iser. That's tantamount to being a Heilich Rachel. You're no better than a gossip monger because that's what you're doing. You're basically spreading gossip. You're breaking a story. You know what? I think that the shaykhs between Lashon Hara and being Megalosite is why Shlomo Melech lumps them together. Because they're really from the same Shirish. What's the big taiva of Lashon Hara? Why is Lashon Hara such a big deal? Why is it that we know how bad it is? There's like 33, you know, Lavin plus Asseis together, every word of Lashon Hara. What's so terrible about Lashon Hara? Goyim do it all the time, you know, there's big tabloids, everything is gossip, gossip, gossip. So, it's, it, what's so bad? It's Gishmak. Lashon Hara is Gishmak. So why, why is it such a, a, a thing that you can't speak Lashon Hara and there's terrible Averis and you... Where does it come from, meaning? We know that it's a bad thing, it's not a good thing, but why is it such a taiva for us to do? We know that it's not... It's not do we have a taiva to go to McDonald's? And I'm tired. It's Osir, it's Osir. Why is Lashon Hara, in spite of all of the Gaidala Isser, why is it still such a taiva for us? And the answer is because there's one thing that Lashon Hara is. Lashon Hara shows that I'm in the know. It makes me important when I speak Lashon Hara because what I'm basically saying to you is that I am privy to information that other people don't know. A lot of people don't know this, but I know it. So I'm saying, if I say to you that Yankel is, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he, he, he's getting thrown out of yeshiva... So that means that I happen to know that Yankel's getting thrown out of Yeshiva, so that's Lashon Hara. But that's a taiva for me, because when I tell you, it shows you that I know something that you don't know. That's also what a Megala site is. A Megala site is the same Shairish as Lashon Hara, because it comes from the same place. If I know that Chaim's about to get engaged, so if I'm keeping it in my belly and I can't share it with anyone, then it's sort of like, it's annoying. Like, I want to be able to show you that I know. I don't want it to be breaking news and everybody has to be happy and I, you know, and I already knew it a while back. That's no fun. 
I don't want to just be a, another guy that, that finds out news when it breaks. I want to be a guy that knows the news and that you know that I know the news before it breaks. That gives me power. That gives me clout. That gives me a certain degree of uh, VIP status that I'm privy to something that other people aren't. People entrust me with information. That means that, you know, I'm chashuv. And that's where the sherish of the taiva of being megalocyte is. It reveal, it shows people that I'm important. I know a secret that you don't know. That makes me uh, a cut above. There's an amazing Arches Chaim Rush. The Rush wrote a Musr Sefer. The Rush that we know from the back of the Gemaras wrote a Musr Sefer called Arches Chaim. A lot of yeshivas, by the way, in Chaydish Elul, they, they say a few of these lines. It's like bullet points that, of Musr that the, the Rush wrote. And they say it with a special niggin. It's a beautiful thing. In many yeshivas, they have this minig that they have basically a certain amount of pieces that they say every day during El and everybody like goes and says it together with the Chazan. So listen to what the Rush writes about being Megala Said. He says a, a remarkable Chiddush. Said Acher Lai Segala. Do not reveal the secrets that others give you. Gam El Hadvarim even things that were spoken in your presence, but they weren't said before they were secrets. But you, you know, you, you understand that it's a secret. Let's say you're sitting at a Shabbos table and somebody's saying somebody's about to get engaged, just going back to that example. So that's a secret. It might not have been said that they're a secret, but you understand there's something, you know, it's not official yet, so it's a secret. You should hide it in the crevices of your heart, in the, in the corners of your heart, keep it. Don't spread it, because it's not yours to spread. If you hear that somebody's moving, somebody is uh, getting engaged, somebody is uh, you know, sick, somebody is uh, whatever, just got a promotion, is about to get a promotion or whatever, it's something, but you understand that there's a secret involved, it's not something that's yet known, then don't spread it. It's not for you to spread. It's not Lashonar, it's not, a bad, you know, not bad information, it's good. It's a good thing, let's say. But you have to keep it a secret, says the Rush. But listen to this. Gam im tishma ena me echad al taimer kvar shamati This is an incredible chiddush that the Rush is saying. What he's saying is like this. Let's say, going back to Chaim, he comes and tells me, Rabbi, I'm about to get engaged. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop the question. And then somebody else comes over to me tomorrow, let's say. It's still not official. And they say, Rebbe, did you hear Chaim's about to get engaged? Yeah, it's only, he told me yesterday. That's awesome. The rush says you're not allowed even to reveal to somebody who tells you that same secret that you already were privy to. You're not allowed to say to him, I know. Now that's really self-control. Because at least you think, okay, good, we're in the club together. We both know you know, we're both privy to Chaim's, you know, inner circle. We're, so, so we could share. We're allowed to, like, get into it. We're not. Chaim told it to me as a secret. He told it to, uh, to Pinchas as a secret. They're both supposed to stay by each of us respectively as secrets. 
We can't share that information. Even if Pinchas comes to me and says, you know, did you hear that? Of course I know that Chaim's about to That's old news. Tell me something I don't know. You're not allowed to say that. That's part of keeping a secret. Keeping a secret is even in a situation that you both know something that's a secret. You're still not allowed to, to tell the other person who is also privy that, that you knew the secret. It's interesting, the smag actually counts this as a lav. Where is the lav in the Torah about keeping a secret? It says, When somebody says something to me, the assumption has to be, even if he doesn't say, by the way, this is a secret, don't tell anybody. The assumption has to be that what? The assumption has to be that you can't tell anybody. If he's telling me privately, it's probably something that he doesn't want me to tell anybody else. And you are bebal yaymar. You are not allowed to say it until he goes explicitly and says you could say it. Or if I go to him right away and say, is it okay if I tell other people? And he says, yeah, that's fine. Then, of course, I could say it. But if he's telling me something and it seems to be in a private setting and he's not spreading it to anybody else and it seems to be something between me and him, I am not, I'm bebal yaymar. I'm not allowed to say it to anybody else until he tells me that I may. And this is Darshan from a Pasuk of Aidabra Hashem Ela Me'el Ma'ed Leymar. Rashi says, Loy Amar. Loy Amar. You're not allowed to say it. Leymar means you're not you're forbidden to say it. So Smad takes this a very big leap, he says, that if a person says it without asking permission, if you repeat something that was told to him without first getting permission, he's Iver Balav. Leymar, Lav Amar. There's a Lav involved, says the Smad. Finally, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, La Manalaf and Manalaf says that Rav Ami had a Talmud. There's a Talmud in the Yeshiva for a very long time, one of Rav Ami's best Talmudim. He was learning in the Yeshiva for 22 years. He was told a secret, let's say the first year that he came to Yeshiva. He stayed in Yeshiva for 22 years. After 22 years, he revealed a secret that was told to him the first year that he was in yeshiva. Rav Ami heard that this Talmud was Megala Said, and you know what the Gemara says he did? He chucked him. You're out of the yeshiva. What did he do wrong? Well, you, you revealed the secret. The secret was 22 years old. The guy is probably long dead by the time I, I revealed the secret. What's, why is it such a big deal? Because you didn't have the right to do it. There's no statute of limitations when it comes to secrets. It's an amazing thing. I mean, somebody tells me a secret in uh, 1983. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm expected to keep it the rest of my life. Like, after a while, you assume it's out. People know it. But he told it to me as a secret. Well, yeah, but the secret's out. The guy is married. He has grandchildren, great-grandchildren already. He told me that he's getting engaged, for crying out loud. Well, what's the secret? But if he tells me that it's a secret... It's a secret. It has to stay by me. There's never an end to that unless 
Obviously, I, the, the, the example that I gave is a little extreme. Obviously, if he told me he's getting engaged and he gets married and it's official, then I, I would imagine that the secret is out. But let's say he tells me something that's very personal about him, and I, it's 22 years later, and he never told me that I could say. I'm not allowed to say. I'm not allowed to repeat it. I have to be very careful with revealing things that are, that are, are not appropriate. You know, the, I think there's a Zayar that says, that if you reveal a secret, you come back as a Gilgal of a dog. What's the pshat? Why do I come back as a dog? I think the pshat is that a dog, whatever you want to say about a dog, he's loyal. A dog is loyal to its, to its master, to its owner. But when I tell you something, and I trust you with something, it's a very personal thing. I expect your loyalty. And when you go and you tell it to other people, you're being disloyal to me. I trusted you with something and you betrayed my trust by telling other people. And so you come back as a, as a keller because you learn, at least from a dog, you'll learn how to be loyal a little bit. Just want to end with a story that I saw You know, Mayor Zlatowicz was the, uh, the founder and the president of, uh, of Arts Grove. And I had a very good relationship with him. He was, a very, he was always a gentleman to me. With every, every project that I was working on, he really was extra nice to me. And he, uh, um, we had a good relationship. And a lot of times I came to his office and he was on the phone in the other room and I had to wait. He was on the phone with David Feinstein. David Feinstein, he was a Talmud, Ramesha Feinstein, he was very close with David Feinstein. Every day they spoke for a very long time on the phone together, every single day. So the story goes like this, that one time, David Feinstein was on the phone with Rabbi Zlatowicz, and he said, I just have to take another call. There's another call coming in. Uh, do you mind you know, me putting you on hold? He had a lot of phone calls coming in, always with Shilas or whatever. He says, of course. So he puts Rabbi Zlatowicz on hold. And Rabbi Zlatowicz, and, and then he comes back to the phone, like maybe 15 minutes. And he said, I'm very sorry, you know, it was uh, Shaila And uh, anyway, what, what were we talking about? And they just continued the conversation. And that was the end of the story. That Shabbos, Rabbi Zlatowicz was sitting around the Shabbos table and he had his family around him and one of, the, uh, one of his sons said to Rabbi Zlatowicz, uh, you know, I called Rabbi David one, one day this week and uh, had a shaylai to ask him and we had a very pleasant conversation. He says, oh, that's very nice. I'm happy that you called Rabbi David. What day was it? So he says it was on Tuesday. Tuesday. What time on Tuesday? He says it was about uh, 11.15 in the morning. Anyway, that was the exact time that Rabbi Zlatos was talking to him. And he chapped that that phone call that Rabbi Feinstein interrupted, Rabbi Zlatos's phone call, was with none other than Rabbi Zlatos's own son. He was asking Mashaila, whatever it was, uh, I don't know what the Shaila was, but whatever it was, it was probably, I'm sure it wasn't about Rabbi Zlatowicz, it wasn't, and in any way, you know, it was just a halachic shiloh. Now, 
if it was me, if I was with Dara Feinstein, what would I do? I'd probably, you know, go back to her and say, you're not going to believe who just called me. You're not going to believe You know, your son called me. He's amazing, whatever. He's such a nice boy. He didn't say anything. He just basically, you know, it was a personal call. It was something that was, you know, whether it was, you know, something that was, in any way, you know, embarrassing or whatever, that we don't know. But whatever it was, the point is that it was the Balyayma. Somebody tells me something, I have to keep it very, very secret. You know, since I, you know, was planning on giving the schmooze, I noticed, like, throughout the week, how many times, like, I'm violating the schmooze. It's an amazing thing. Like, you don't think the schmooze is so nagay, like, oh, secrets and don't reveal secrets. There's so many things that we reveal constantly. And we don't even know that we're revealing it. We don't even realize that, that there's anything wrong with it. But there's a lot wrong with it. There's just so many times that, you know, somebody tells something and I, you automatically just like, just almost reflexively, almost instinctively, you just say, yeah, I just saw him and he just told me this. And, uh, you know, things that are nobody's business, you just sort of like say, Agaburcha, just because you want to show that, you know, you, you just had a talk with them, or this person, you know, is, you know, is going out seriously, or this person is, I'm going out, and, you know, things that are of personal nature, that people come to you, or, or just some, like, other things that, you know, you just sort of, you don't think it's a big deal. You don't think, so, looks like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just in the course of conversation. But it's something that we really have to work on. It's something that you really have to filter yourself for, just like we filter our mouths, hopefully, for all the other things that we know are, are very, very destructive. This is also destructive. This is something that, if you're trusted with a secret, as tempting as it is, a very big are to share secrets with other people, to show people, you know, and you think that it's not so bad, and it's this, and people are going to find that. Anyway, make all the lumbus so that... You're gonna, you know, it's a, what's the big deal? It's just a few days, and by now probably people are, you know, you're assuming everything. But if you're not allowed to say it until you know for a fact that it's okay. Call the person. If you want to share it, then call the person. By the way, is it okay, you know, if I tell other people? Is it the people know yet? And they'll either tell me yes or no. But I can't assume that something is allowed unless... I know explicitly that either it's official and therefore everybody knows or that it's something that I was given explicit permission to do or he told me it's okay to tell people. But until that happens, you have to really guard it. The default position of our mouth should be, should be shut. It's not like you can assume I could talk you know, unless something really hits me that it's usher. It's the other way around. Whatever I know, keep to yourself. You're not allowed to share things. You're not allowed to share even with people that are also privy. You're not allowed to share the rush says with them. It might be a lot. It's a very important you cite in life to try to really be secret. And if you are a person that could keep secrets, then people will trust you with much more. They'll give you more secrets. They'll give you a job. They'll give you. They'll. They'll. They'll know that you're a person they can trust. But when you reveal secrets to other people, what you're really doing is you're revealing the biggest secret about you, and that's that you can't keep a secret. And when people say, wait, he's telling me somebody that was told to him privately, then that means that I can't tell him something privately. And that's really the greatest secret that you're revealing is the secret about yourself. 
All of this is learned in this week's parsha. This is a very big yisayid from this parsha that we see how a person, Abraham Avinu knew the malachim were malachim, but he kept it a secret. He didn't say the malachim didn't get that lesson from Avraham Avinu. And look at the punishment that they were punished with: 138 years they had to be in Golus, all because they were not able to learn the lesson of the secret, the keeping of secrets. And when they told Light, boom, 138 years in the in penalty. It's a very, very critical Yisaid and Mitz Hashem. We should take more and more Yisaids from these parshas, and we should learn how to perfect our midas, perfect our mouths, so that we're a much better Evid Hashem and a much better friend. Have a good chance.